The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. If you've been here for the last few weeks of the quarter, you know that the series that we've been doing has actually been um, our student interns have presented information about some Old Testament folks, um, looked at kind of their life story and, and what we can learn from that. And tonight uh, we get to hear, as one of our student interns shares, the story of Elijah, which is pretty exciting. His life account can be found in first and second Kings. Um, so I'm actually going to be interviewing Elijah about his life um, tonight. And we're going to see what his life and faith can teach us about our own. So please give a warm in welcome to the prophet Elijah. Thanks for being here, Elijah. Thanks. We're really excited that you're here with us tonight. And you brought, you also brought some photos, some I pictures did. for us from your yeah, life. Um, we had cameras then. That's great. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go ahead and get started. Tell us about yourself. Who are you? Well, my name is Elijah. I'm from Tishba in Gilead. Now, I'm kind of a private person, so that's about all of the history of my like my family histories you're gonna get. But um, what I will tell you is like who I was during the reign of King Ahab of Israel. So I'm a prophet of God, which means that God spoke through me. <laughs> you're doing great, Elijah. Go ahead. Look at laughing at me. I don't know why. I don't know. Um, my hair must look funny. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, God spoke through me to order Israel to turn from their evil ways. During these times, Israel had been getting into all kinds of trouble due to the corrupt kings that they insisted upon having ruled them. God had originally wanted Israel to have a theocracy um, after he let them into the promised land, but being the adolescent nation that they were, um, Israel wanted a human king instead. And so they told God, like, we want a human king, and he said, no, um, it'd be better if I myself rule over you. Um, but they still insisted upon it, so God allowed them to have a monarchy. So if Israel has a king, what's the point of a prophet like yourself? Well, Janie, (laughs) I share the word of God um, with the king and with Israel. I'm kind of like a comment section, letting the king know what God is thinking and doing. Which brings us to the time when King Ahab and his wife, Queen Jezebel, were ruling. Um, Queen Jezebel was a, a particularly evil woman um, and a devout worshiper of Baal. If you've ever heard the term Jezebel, it's based on this queen being really difficult. She commanded that the nation of Israel worship Baal as well. And following the command the Lord made in Deuteronomy eleven sixteen through 17, saying, Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce. And you will soon perish in the good land the Lord is giving you. I went up to King Ahab, and I said, 
As the Lord, the God, is, God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, King Ahab wasn't like too pleased with what I had told him, and he and Jezebel actually blamed me for the drought and the famine, which didn't really help their opinion of me. So, okay, you went up and said this to them. How did you know it was the God of the universe that was telling you what to say to them? Well, I had experienced three miracles that demonstrated that God is a God who brings life even when there's only death. That gave me confidence I needed to continue doing God's work. So the Lord hid me by the brook of Cherith, where ravens fed me meat and bread in the morning and evening. Like, I literally opened my mouth and the raven dropped me in. Um, after a while, <laughs> after a while, the brook dried up from the drought, and God had me go to a neighboring country where I met a widow. Upon meeting her, I had asked her to bring me some water because, mind you, it was really hot out and I had walked really far. Um, I then asked for a piece of bread as well, yet when I asked for that, the widow replied saying that she didn't have enough flour and oil to prepare bread for me and her son. Um, Knowing the word of the Lord, I told her to go and do what she said, but to make me a loaf of bread first. When she did this, the oil and flour didn't run out, and there was food for both her family and myself the entire time I stayed with them. So the amount of oil and flour as she made bread, it never went down? Yeah, it was crazy to see. Sometime later, though, her son became ill, and he died. Watching his mother grieve and suffer over the loss of her son and then turn and ask me if I had solely come to remind her of her sin by killing her son troubled me. As it would. <laughs> yeah. It hurt me to the point where I even asked God if me staying with her was the reason why he brought such tragedy in her life. So I took her son from her arms and carried him upstairs where I cried out to God, begging him to let this boy's life return to him. By God's grace, he heard my pleas and allowed the boy to live again. Wow, those are amazing miracles. It makes sense that you would trust in God's ability to use you bringing life from death. What about King Ahab and Queen Jezebel that you mentioned before? What was going on with them? Um, after about three years of drought, the Lord said to me, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So I went. I would be lying if I said I wasn't nervous. I mean, it would be natural to have some reservations going up to a king who clearly isn't all too thrilled with you for proclaiming, proclaiming drought over an entire nation. Um, as I was heading to King Ahab, I ran into Obadiah, who is the king's palace administrator, as well as a believer in Yahweh, which is the Hebrew word for God. I told Obadiah to go to King Ahab and tell him, Elijah is here. After hearing this, Obadiah thought I was trying to kill him or something because he asked me why I would put him to death by sending him to King Ahab. According to Obadiah, King Ahab had searched every nation and, and kingdom they claimed and couldn't find me anywhere. So I guess I can see why Obadiah thought telling him I was there was a bad idea. So King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were seeking to kill you because you didn't have a good message from God? Yeah. They, they weren't too thrilled with me. So, okay, so they're seeking to kill you. Why did you continue with your prophecies if your life was at risk? Um, because I knew God would protect me, and that allowed me to be bold. Obadiah went to meet King Ahab to tell him of my arrival, and King Ahab came to me. At this time, though, I didn't feel nervous about seeing the king, 
And instead, I felt confidence and courage because I knew what needed to be done with Israel. I felt God working through me, and I knew I could not fail. So when King Ahab addressed me as the troubler of Israel, I replied proclaiming, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. I then told him to summon people from all around Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And I don't want to brag or anything, but I've heard it's the most dramatic Bible story, at least in the Old Testament. We'll call it a humble brag. So um, you summoned people from all over Israel because you wanted them to witness what the God of Israel could truly do? Yeah, that was what I was hoping for. So anyway, I told King Ahab to bring 400 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, another god that they worshipped. Now, fast forward to when we were all on Mount Carmel. I went in front of them and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. No one said anything. And I was so fed up with their half-heartedness towards God that I, and, uh, I didn't want them to be half in and half out. I wanted them to be both feet in, like all the way. So then I told them that I am the only prophet of God left because Jezebel kept hunting down all the other prophets of Yahweh and executing them. But Baal had 450 prophets. I commanded them to get two bulls to cut for us, cut them up, and put them on wood but not set fire. Instead, we would each call upon God to set fire to it, and whoever's God answers with fire was the one true God. I let the Baal worshippers go first. Okay, so you planned a head-to-head matchup between... God, the god Baal, who Ahab and Jezebel worshipped, and the god of Israel. Uh, Sunday, 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 live from the Mount Carmel Dome, a knockdown, drag out, smackdown. And it's you, one guy, one guy, right? And 450 guys for Baal. Those odds seem a bit scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I knew I could be confident that the one God of the universe, Yahweh, would be victorious. So I had them go first, and out of common courtesy, and also I kind of wanted to have a good laugh watching them make fools of themselves. I must say, though, they were very persistent, because they danced from morning until it was time for the evening sacrifice, but by about noon, I had got a little bored, so I thought it'd be kind of fun to taunt them and say things like, Shout louder, or perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and needs to be woken up. Um, But after time had passed, (laughs) it was my turn now to call upon the Lord. So I got up and I took 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, naturally, and built an altar in the name of the Lord. I then dug a large trench around the altar and had four jugs of water poured over the bull and the wood. I had them repeat this three times until even the trench was full of water. So you doused an altar when the goal was to have it be set on fire. Yeah. Why would you do that? (laughs) Well, I wanted to make things as difficult as possible for Yahweh to show in contrast to the Baals that the one true God is not a joke and would not fall asleep on the job. Also, I needed them to know that it was God doing everything, not me. After this, I prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know you, Lord, are God, and you are turning their hearts back again. And instantly, after my prayer, fire from the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also evaporated all the water in the trenches. It was, how they say, lit. Sounds like it. Thank you. It yeah. was. It was burned my hair off. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Okay. Um, needless to say, everyone who saw this fell down proclaiming that the Lord is God. I then commanded that the prophets of Baal be seized and slaughtered at that very moment in order to offset all the prophets that Yah- of Yahweh that Jezebel had killed. So where are Ahab and Jezebel when all this is going down? Um, Ahab had told Jezebel everything that went down on Mount Carmel, and she wasn't pleased. She said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So basically, because I killed the prophets of Baal, she wanted to kill me. Yikes. She doesn't exactly mince words. So what did you do? I ran away. And, (laughs) hey, you would too. (laughs) Uh, I ran away, and honestly, I really wanted to give up on being a prophet. I was burned out and depressed, so I complained a little bit. I wandered around, sat under a broom tree, and told God I wanted to die. I said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. God encouraged me with some angels and some food. You know, the usual. Yeah. And what? You don't get that? No, not quite. Oh, okay. Then, (laughs) Then I went and I hid in a cave, but God wouldn't stop. God still appeared before me, reminded me I was not alone in following him, and called me back to be a prophet again. He gave me a sense of purpose and told me to go find the prophet Elisha. That's Elisha with, a, with an S-H, not to be confused with me, Elijah with a J, to take my place. In failure and success, God was still present. God uses human instruments like me to convert those who do not have a faith. But I've come to realize it was never about me. It was always, and I always was and simply am God's servant. And God faithfully drew me out of the cave and spoke to me even when I didn't want to hear it. God reminded me when I can't see the work producing fruit, he would be sowing the seeds I had planted. So then you went and found Elisha? Yes. I mentored him as a prophet to take my place. When I found him, he immediately followed me without question. He was plowing the 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. I went up and threw my cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after me and said, Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and I will come with you. We appeared before kings and told them to repent before God. Finally, I knew that my time as a prophet in this world had come to an end, so I kept trying to lose Elisha, but he kept following me, saying, As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. Which is is flattering, but it's also a little annoying, because I didn't want to trouble him with my death. So I gave up, and suddenly, mid-conversation with Elisha, 
There was a sudden windstorm and a fiery chariot and its team of flaming horses came and took me up in a whirlwind to God. My spirit rested upon Elisha to carry out what I had started, but my work in the world was done. So you were with us here tonight because you didn't die. No, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of what I'm known for. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us today, Elijah. Um, It's powerful witness of the way God was at work in the world back um, thousands of years ago. ago. Yeah. And the way that God's at work in the world today. And I think it's more similar than we see at um, face value. So what are some of the things that we can learn from Elijah's life story? What are the things that can help uh, inform our faith journey? This week is actually Passover, which is a Jewish holiday that um, celebrates, commemorates God freeing the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt and leading them into the promised land. And actually, you are prominently featured in this. Yes, I don't know if you knew that. Um, There's a prophecy in the book of Malachi, which is the final book of the Old Testament, that says that because Elijah didn't die, Elijah would come back um, and bring about reconciliation in the world. So at Passover Seder, which was on Friday, you leave an empty chair for Elijah in case you want to come in to one of these meals sometime. And there's also an extra glass of wine available for you as well. I'm over 21. Um, So, and I bring that up because uh, one of the things I love most about Elijah's story um, is that Elijah is really the model for the coming Messiah. The expectation that Israel had for what the Messiah would be like um, is the life that Elijah led. And um, that's what Israel was expecting. And I think that we can see the truth of that because of your boldness in standing up to those who oppose to Yahweh because of the way that God used your miracles to show that life would be victorious over death. Because you demanded that people make a choice to follow Yahweh and Yahweh alone. And because your life as a prophet shows us that God will not quit when it comes to pursuing us and loving us, no matter how far away we might feel from God. What we can see in Elijah's life is truly the message of our Messiah. It's really the message of Jesus for us today. On Mount Carmel, Elijah wants the people present to choose, to proclaim that they trust in the one true God, Yahweh. And he was not okay with people kind of, sort of choosing God. He wants people to be all in, 100%, with their entire lives. And Elijah even says, indecision or failure to make a choice That's the same thing as choosing Baal, or that's the same thing as worshiping anything besides Yahweh. What Elijah called out to the Israelites on Mount Carmel, which is essentially asking, are you in or are you out? That's what Jesus is calling out to us. Jesus says in scripture, which he's quoting the Old Testament, it's the same message, what we are called to is the love, love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is our whole selves. No more of kind of one foot in, yeah, for sure, but also one foot kind of out. 
no more. Here's some parts of my life, God, but I'm going to hold on to the stuff that really matters to me. I mean, I'll give you the spiritual time. Duh. That's, yeah, no brainer. But, um, and I'll give you school when, like, I haven't studied for a test. Then that'd be great if you could intercede in those times. But I'm going to hold on to my relationships. Uh, I'm going to hold on to my future. I'm going to hold on to how I act when no one's watching. I'm going to keep the things that I'm ashamed of. What Elijah wants us to know, what Jesus wants us to know and calls us to is we can't be in part way. It's not 80% over here with God, but 20% our thing. It won't work. If we truly want to be transformed, we have to say, okay, I'm stepping in with both feet. I'm giving it all to you, God. I'm trusting that you will take all of me, even the horrible, dark corners of myself. When we do that, that is when we can be truly transformed into who God created us to be. That is when we will know love and grace beyond anything that the things in this world that we worship will actually give us. It can be real, it can be as real and radical of a change as fire coming down from heaven to prove who is the real God. The story of Elisha, not to be confused with Elijah, actually shows us what it means to be all in. What happens when Elijah comes? He uh, immediately and totally follows. He says goodbye to his family, he sacrifices an oxen, and then he follows Elijah. Does that remind you of anyone else in scripture? That's what happened when Jesus called the disciples. Their following Jesus was immediate, it was total, it was complete. Their decision was to be all in. Now, it's easy for us to write them off and say, well, I mean, they had Jesus with them. How hard could it be to follow Jesus if you were with him? Or Elijah and Elisha, God was talking to them. How hard is that? But I think you only have to hear Elijah's story or read the Gospels to know that that's not really the case. Being in with both feet does not mean that you never have doubt. It doesn't mean you never struggle. It doesn't mean that you don't have anxiety. It means that you trust that God is with you anyways. I think theologian Dale Bruner puts it best. He says, the Christian faith is bipolar. Disciples live their life between worship and doubt, trusting and questioning, hoping and worrying. We can be all in with our faith. We can give our whole selves to God and still be asking questions, still be trying to figure things out, still be in process, but we are still allowing ourselves to be transformed into who God created us to be. And that's the final part of Elijah's story that I want to acknowledge that hopefully is an encouragement to us in our own faith and putting both feet in when it comes to following God. And that's, we're not promised it's going to be easy, it's going to be perfect. The time, during the time that Elijah was a prophet, he was a full-time resident of Strugtown, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, and one of the ways that we know that he was completely and totally in in his relationship with God was his brutal honesty. He says, God, I can't do it anymore. I can't go on. He struggled. 
He suffered from what sounds like severe depression, and he wanted to give up. But what's awesome about this story is that God would not let him. God was just as present with Elijah in the times of his difficulty and his struggle as God was present with him in his times of victory, bringing fire down from heaven. God did not abandon Elijah when he needed God most. In fact, from Elijah's story, we can see God is pretty relentless in pursuing us. God never, ever ceases to be faithful. And we never have to search for God. Because once you start, you'll find that God was present the whole time anyways. God is all in with us. Both feet. God is in with you. Will you be in with God? God, we thank you for the witness of Elijah. We thank you for the powerful ways that he was bold in trusting you. We thank you for his message of Yahweh as the one true God of this world. And we thank you for Elijah's witness of struggle, the ways in which he followed hard after you and he desperately needed you. May we be people who can be all in as he was, both feet, trusting your guidance and your love and your power and grace to transform us every day more into who you have created us to be. Hear us now as we get to worship you together as the one true God of the universe. In your holy name, amen.